Uh, if you guys are new, my name is David. I'm one of the guys on staff here. My role is a church planning candidate, and so we kind of have this, this vision, this hope, this prayer for Doxa Church, not to just be here in Madison, but actually to be a church that plants churches in other kind of college cities across America. So that's my job is to kind of spearhead that church plant over the next couple years. But this morning we're in Micah 6, 8, okay? So if you were here last week, you heard Rob kind of start off this series. It's just a three-week series, and basically what we're doing is we're basically just looking at this verse that says this, Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Now, we're going to spend kind of three weeks just kind of diving in here, and so last week, Rob did this section, do justice, okay? Now, this week, it's love kindness. So what does the Lord require of you? What has kind of God defined as what is good for you, oh man, oh woman, oh human, right? And he says it is to love kindness, okay? So last week, first of all, it's actually hard to do a sermon on two words. So last week, Rob jumped from here all the way to Isaiah. I had this really long passage. There isn't really a passage that totally summarizes this. So I'm just going to stick to these two words, okay? Love and kindness. And so if this sermon goes long, that is all on me, okay? Because we are only trying to cover two words, love, kindness, okay? Now, at first glance, when you kind of see these two words, if you just like hear them, love, kindness, this feels like part of the Bible that like finally, no matter who you are, what your story is, like you can get on board with this, right? Even if you're like, I don't believe in God at all, but I support that message, right? It feels like something you could print up on a poster. You could put like rainbows, butterflies, glitter on it. You could give it to a kid to like wave around downtown. And the reason it sounds that way is because we've actually all seen this poster, okay? This is actually everywhere. Here's just a couple of them, okay? Uh, just be kind. Here's another one, just be kind, okay? So this, they're, they're everywhere, and if you actually just Google this on your phone, there's like billboards, they're all over the place. And this actually started with a group of kids in Indiana. They were kind of trying to start this kindness movement, right? They kind of looked around at the world, and they were like, man, the world kind of sucks, right? Like the world's kind of messed up. There's like all this stuff going on, and they're like, this doesn't seem right. Kindness must fix the problem. And so they started this movement, just be kind, and so it's everywhere now. Billboard signs, shirts, coffee mugs. And I don't know if you've kind of seen this, but I, I see this all over the place. And what's interesting is for the past 200 years, okay, kindness, if you just look up the, like the word kind or kindness, over the last 200 years, it kind of started off like in, in pretty common usage, but over the 200 years, it's kind of just slowly gotten less and less popular. Like we use it less and less. And over the past few years, kind of partly in response to this movement, and now kindness is getting this uptick, like we're using it a lot again. And so there's a bunch of different spin-offs of this original idea, but the original hashtag is just this. It says, just be kind, it's easy. Okay, so that, that idea, just be kind. And this idea is that the world has a lot of problems, but if we're just kind, it would solve them. And it's not that hard. Actually, kindness is pretty easy. If everyone could just stop being mean to other people and be kind, then the world would be a better place. Now, originally, this was a group of, of kids who were holding up signs, selling shirts for a good cause, and like putting pinwheels in people's yards, right? Not that bad. A fine and good idea. But this statement, this idea, just be kind, has been taken up by adults, social justice warriors, actually people from kind of every corner of the world, and it's kind of being written about and kind of pushed out into the world as a solution to so much 
that is wrong. And it's now almost, I think, actually kind of built into the fabric of our subconscious that the world is broken, but if we could just be kind, it would fix it, and being kind is pretty easy. So why do I bring this up? Well, I bring this up because Micah 6, 8 says, love kindness. And I think that it's possible, and not just possible, but I think it's actually likely that when we read these words in Micah, actually what we do with them is we end up actually interpreting them with a framework of kindness that the world has given to us. And what we end up doing is we actually end up doing that and we miss the confrontation that we are meant to have with God as we read these words. So why do I say that? Well, I say that because just be kind and love kindness, they use the same word, but they are very, very different messages. They're not just different messages, but actually internalizing either of these messages will actually set you out on a completely different trajectory in your life and in your heart. Because the first, this message, love kindness, is a message from God to us. And when we confront this message, what it does is it actually ends up humbling us. But the second message, just be kind, is a message that's actually sent kind of from us in order to confront the unkind people out there who are ruining our world. And this message doesn't humble us, but it actually ends up making us proud. So it's the same word, but it is a very different vision of humanity. It's a very different vision of our lives and actually causes us on two different, very different trajectories in life. So the first difference is that we actually have a totally different definition of kindness today in our culture than God does in the Bible. So I want to talk about this word kind, right? So we already talked about it's had this kind of downward trajectory for the last 200 years, meaning not just the word is kind of in, in less use, but like the idea itself is something that is not as popular. But what's interesting is you see this other word that wasn't used very much 200 years ago and is now used a lot today, and it's the word nice. And so what has actually happened over the last 200 years kind of in our culture is not just the word kindness, not just the word being kind, but like the idea of it has slowly been replaced with the word and the idea of being nice. And so what has happened is actually culturally we replace one idea with the other. And so when we think of kindness today, most of us think in essence that to be kind means to not be mean. Right? It says, don't be mean to people, right? So if you want to be a kind person, you hold open the door, you smile, you don't judge, judge people or hurt people, you just be kind. To be kind, in essence, is to not have a negative effect on the world. Essentially, what we mean by kindness today is niceness, right? But that is not what kindness means. And it's not what the translators of this Bible meant when they used the word kindness. Because the Hebrew word here is actually the word hesed, okay? That's the closest you're going to get to it, the right sound. It doesn't actually sound hesed. It's like hesed, okay? But that's the closest I can get, hesed. And it's translated here, kindness. But I mean, you might have another translation of the Bible that, that is actually translated mercy. Because that's the other way this word is translated. And so it's either love kindness or it's love mercy. But what's interesting is like the fuller kind of definition of this word hesed is the idea of steadfast love. So a, a kind of love that like overcomes obstacles and barriers, right? But it sounds weird to say love, steadfast love. It's like too many loves. And so the translator just said, okay, we're going to say love kindness or love mercy. And those are actually really good translations. 
both of them are. Because to love kindness is to love mercy, because to be kind to someone by definition is actually to be merciful to them. Kindness, the original definition, is not just to be nice to people, and it's not even just to treat people fairly or justly, but kindness is actually to go beyond that and to give people a blessing that they don't actually deserve. The original definition of kindness, and you're like, hey, okay, you're spending a lot of time on definitions. I know, but we have two words, so it's important that we get them right, okay? The original definition of kindness was the idea of forbearance, okay? Now, if you want to talk about a word we don't use very much at all anymore, (laughs) forbearance, right? And, And so this idea originally of kindness meant to be within your rights to hurt or harm or require something of someone and instead to bless them. To to be kind to someone is not merely to not be mean to them and it's actually not even to give them justice and treat them fairly, but kindness is actually about being unfair with people. And it's actually giving them something that they haven't earned and they don't actually deserve. And so maybe the fullest definition is like this. To be kind to someone means to give up your rights that someone owes you in order to give to them something you don't owe them. So it's not just you're giving up your rights to something that they owe you, but you go beyond that and you actually give them something you don't owe them and this is what it means when it says that what is required of us is that we love kindness that's what the word kindness means now there's this story kind of in literature that's that's almost become like this archetype for this idea of kindness and it's actually in victor hugo's book les miserables has anyone read this book anyone anyone read it in french no i'm just kidding i I haven't either okay it's like 650,000 words it's a massive novel but they've made movies of it okay so you can go watch the movies but there's this character, like kind of the protagonist of the story is, is a man named Jean Valjean, okay? Now, Jean Valjean is a very interesting character because he basically lives most of his early life in prison. He's known as a criminal. He kind of, when he was younger in life, he stole a loaf of bread to try to feed his sister's kids who are like kind of at the lowest of low in France in poverty. And so he steals this loaf of bread and he gets caught and he gets thrown in prison and there's this super heavy-handed sentence that's kind of levied on his life. You're going to be in prison for years. And so he basically lived his life in prison under this harsh judgment and punishment for stealing a loaf of bread and he can't handle it and he tries to escape over and over and over again. And Jean Valjean basically ends up with this person who's supposed to be in prison for only a couple of years for stealing a loaf of bread and he ends up in prison for 19 years. Like so much of his formative years, his life are basically forming him by justice and punishment for stealing a loaf of bread. And he ends up with this person that's like hardened by justice, hardened by punishment. So 19 years goes by, he eventually gets out of prison and he's known as someone who cannot be trusted. He's known as someone who is a criminal and you don't associate with people like this. When he finally comes out, people won't take him in. He can't find blessing. He can't find work. He can't, he can't kind of find shelter. He can't find what he needs to survive because his life is marked of one who does evil and injustice. He's a criminal. But there's this priest that enters into the story, and this priest gives him kindness. 
when the world won't, this priest will. And so this priest says, you can come, you can stay with us. And they, they bring him into their home. They kind of open themselves up. They're vulnerable with him. They allow him to stay with them in their home. They feed him, they clothe him, they shelter him. And they give him this like undue kindness. And then what Jean Valjean does, the way he responds to this vulnerability and kindness is as they go to sleep, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he steals some of the only things of value they have. He actually goes, like, there, there's a, this is like a priest. He's, he's a pastor. He doesn't have that much things of value. But he go and he takes, like, his silver and dishware. So, like, some of the only things of value that they have, he goes and he takes that. And he takes all their dishes, all their silverware, and he puts it all in a bag. And he uses their kindness to betray them. And so he puts all of this stuff in a bag and he ends up leaving with this in the middle of the night, but he gets caught. And so the police bring him back. They bring him back with so Jean Valjean there. His head is hung. He's clearly guilty. And he wasn't just guilty of doing something wrong, but he's guilty of like stabbing someone in the back because of their kindness, using their kindness as a way to even get more from them. And so he's standing there and the officer's telling this, this story saying, hey, we, we found this guy and, and uh, we know he stayed with you and here's all the stuff he stole from you. Can you believe how he would treat your kindness? Can you believe what he's done? And then he says something interesting. He goes, and what's like maybe the worst part about it, like the most kind of duplicitous thing about this whole thing is when we caught him red-handed having stolen your things, he had the audacity to tell us that you gave it to him. Like he's not just caught, but now he's lying about it. And he has the audacity to say that you gave him all the things of value from your home in this sack that he now has hauled off in the middle of the night. What does justice require? Punishment, prison, right? That's what would be right. But the priest responds and he says, oh, oh no. That's true. We did actually give him all of that treasure. And then he, he turns from kind of dressing the officer and he looks into the eyes of Jean Valjean and he says, but the thing I'm confused about is why didn't you take the candlesticks? Because you took everything else of value, but you didn't take the thing of most value. And we told you to take everything. Why didn't you take the candlesticks? And so in the middle of this, like justice is supposed to be done, and they're trying to like hang this punishment on his head, he walks over and he grabs the very last and best things of value in their home, these ornate, beautiful silver candlesticks. And he says, please take the candlesticks too. And he grabs them and he puts them in his bag and he closes it up and he says, he's taking nothing from us. We've given him all It's this stunning, powerful moment that actually kind of like leads to the whole rest of this person's story. And, and it literally changes the rest of his life. It, it wasn't punishment and justice that changed his heart, but it was actually this moment of profound kindness and mercy. To do justice is to help people get what they are owed. And God says that his people need to do that, like do justice. But when God tells us what we are to love, 
what is meant to define our hearts and what is meant to orient all our affections and passions. He says it's not justice, it's mercy, kindness. And the more that I've been kind of wrestling with these verses in Micah and we're hearing kind of these words that sound really similar to words that we're also hearing in culture. I'm comparing these messages, right? The messages that are on our own Facebook feeds and the messages that God is kind of speaking to us in Micah. The more I'm realizing that the message that has crept into our culture and into our church and into our hearts and onto our social media pages and onto our signs we hold up, I think they are radically different messages than what God is talking about here. Because instead of do justice, the cry of our world is demand justice. It's not about doing it, it's about demanding it. It's not important that our lives are actually marked with an outflow of justice in our individual lives with other people. But what's important is that we use our voice to demand it from other people. Justice for us, justice for them. And this is what we have defined as good. And instead of loving kindness, what we love as a culture is we love revenge. We clap our hands when those in power are canceled for decisions they made years ago. We love seeing places of privilege and status ripped away from those that we don't deem worthy of them, especially when those people aren't on our political or social team. We love punishment, at least for those we view are worthy of it. But I don't know if we are people that love mercy, that love kindness. And what is scary to me about seeing so many people in the church join a cultural movement where we demand justice and we love revenge and we walk proudly with our world is it means that actually our lives and our hearts have been more shaped by the story the world has told us than the story that God has told us. Because you know what other word has had this downward trajectory over the last 200 years? Grace. Massive drop off. And basically you can actually, it's almost like point for point, like where grace goes down in our ideas and culture and our language kindness has gone down. And Jesus actually tells, tells a, a parable about this situation. He, he tells a parable about a servant who owed his master a tremendous amount of money, right? And it's just called the parable of the unmerciful servant. And this, this debt was huge. It was massive. It was like millions and millions of dollars. Somehow he had like gotten himself in so deep with his master that he can't pay it back. It's impossible. And so what you would kind of do in this day and age is if someone owes you a debt that they can't pay back, you basically put them into prison. And it's kind of like you're in prison, but it's also like you still can kind of do labor. Basically, every single thing you will make until your debt is paid will go to this person. And you are not just like in prison, but you are basically enslaved to pay back this debt through the most brutal kind of labor possible. And so... This person has such a high debt that even if he goes into this situation, the entire rest of his life will not be enough to pay back this debt. And so he goes to the master and he begs for kindness and mercy and forgiveness. And the master does something extraordinary because he doesn't actually just lessen his debt, but he forgives it completely. He just says, you owe me nothing. 
You are free to go. I forgive 100% of your debt. You are free. He wipes it clean. He gives him mercy. And then as Jesus tells this story, he says, and then this servant, the very next thing he does is he finds another servant who owes him like $10. And he grabs this other servant and he chokes him and he demands him to give him what he is owed these are my rights. This is justice. Give me this. And the master hears about this. Because the servant that he's choking out, he asks for mercy. He's like, would you give me mercy? I can't pay it. Would you give me mercy? And he says, no. And he throws him in prison until he can pay the debt. And Jesus says that when the master hears about this story, he pulls the servant in that he'd given grace and mercy to. And he says, what is this you've done? Could you not have shown mercy in the same way that I had just shown you mercy? And what the master does is he, he like takes, he retracts his mercy and grace and says, no, you're now going to go to prison. You're going to pay your own debt to me. I want us to ponder a very simple question this morning. And it's, it's this, are we actually kind people? Are you a kind person? Are you a merciful person? I, I don't mean are you just a good person or are you a just person, but I mean are you a kind person? Is your life marked by mercy? And, and I don't even just want you to think, like, what, how do you view yourself? But, like, would the people around you describe you as kind or demanding? Do we respond to the mistakes of others with mercy or with criticism? Does our Facebook and Twitter feed give a message of kindness and mercy? Or does it give a message of judgment against the unkindness that we see in others? Do we love giving people more than they have earned or are we the kind of people that are exacting and precise? We give only what is owed and not a penny more. Are we kind people? And I think that if we're honest, I think many of us actually don't, don't just struggle to love kindness, but we struggle to be kind people at all. And, and I think what's, what's true of us is that we might actually be kind to people that are out there, but sometimes it's the people that are the closest relationship to us, our spouse or our children, that we are actually the most unkind with. We have the least amount of mercy for. We are the most exacting and demanding of. And the problem with this is that it shows that the grace and mercy of God that we claim as the center of our lives the way we live evidences that it's actually very far from the center of our hearts. And what's hard about what God is saying is he isn't actually just saying to do kindness, right? Because he could have said that. He could have said, do kindness. And because even when some of us have kind of trouble with this, we look at our lives and we go, I know there's moments where I'm not kind. There's still this sense where if it said do kindness, many of us would be able to kind of move past these words without much consideration. Because the question, do I do kind things, most of us can answer that, sure. 
I do. I'm a, I'm a fairly kind person, right? Like, I give money to people when they ask for it a lot of times. I wave to my neighbors. I don't really hate anyone. Like, I even slow down on the belt line to let other people get in, right? Like, I'm that nice. I'm that kind. So we could say, no, we do kindness. It doesn't say that. It says, what is the Lord required of you but to love kindness? Now, I want to just stop for a second because I know that there are people who are in this room and people who are watching online who need to stop and hear this. Like you need clarity with what the Lord is actually requiring of you because he is not looking at your life and trying to make a judgment about you of whether you are a kind person or not. That's not what he's doing. And he's not even asking the question like, are you more kind than like the 10 people who are nearest to you? Almost everyone thinks about God this way. It's the natural way we think about salvation. Am I good enough is the question we ask. And the answer that our culture gives us and we give ourselves is just be kind. It's easy. If I'm just a kind person, that's what God requires of me. But that is not what God requires of you. It's not what it says at all. He isn't talking about something external about your outward life. He isn't concerned about how controlled you are or how much you can grit your teeth and just do the good, right thing. He's talking about the very heart of you. He's talking about like the real you, the depth of you. He isn't concerned about how much you can polish the outside of your life. He cares about what you really love. And he says that what you need to really love is kindness. And that isn't something that you can manufacture. That isn't something that you can work hard for. You can work towards. And it's not something that any of us naturally have. But what God is saying is that what is required of you is that actually you would have a completely different kind of heart. He isn't merely interested in the transformation of your actions, but he's interested in the transformation of what you love. And so the question is, if this is what God requires of us, because this is not a minor thing. He's defining what is good. He's defining what he requires. It's not minor. So the question is, how do we become people who actually love kindness? Well, Jean Valjean, right, this moment he has where he experiences this radical kindness in life, when he deserved justice and received kindness, when he deserved punishment and was given mercy, this is the moment that changed the entire course of his life. He becomes someone who actually, from his heart, loves kindness. He becomes this merciful, benevolent person. It changed his life because this moment and encounter with kindness changed his heart. What we need is we actually need an experience of kindness and mercy that is so powerful and it is so shaping that it actually becomes the center of our lives and becomes the center of our stories. Not an experience of kindness that's like great and wonderful, but it's like 
in this part of our lives, but then our true center's here. No, we need an experience of kindness and mercy that's so powerful and so overwhelming that it becomes like the very center from which everything else in our life flows. It needs to be the thing we love. We need an experience of kindness that is powerful enough to actually give us a new heart. Totally new heart. There's this moment in uh, John 3 where John ends up talking to this man named Nicodemus, okay? I don't know if some of you read this part, but this Nicodemus is this guy who, like, his life is this, it's the kind life. Like, he's a kind person. Like, he's a Pharisee, and he's, like, well-regarded in society. Like, this dude's life was so polished, and when he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, and he starts having this conversation with him, and Jesus just cuts to the chase, and he says, no, no, Nicodemus, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you actually need to be born again, He's like, what are you talking about? Like, just what do I need to add? What do I need to do? And he goes, no, Nicodemus, you don't understand. You can't do anything. You need a totally different life. You need a new birth. You need a new heart. And some of you in the room, you've spent so much of your life trying to clean yourself up and polish your life and become the good, kind generous person you think God requires you to be and I'm telling you God does not require that of you what he requires is that you actually get the kind of heart that is changed by his kindness and his love and you can't manufacture that but only God in his mercy can give it to you and the reason this this story of Jean Valjean, at least in my mind, is so powerful is because it is a picture of the kindness and the mercy that God has for us, right? The Bible actually tells us that it's on the cross, that actually God, in that moment, what he was doing is he was displaying his kindness for you, that not only did God come for us, and not only did he kind of come to seek out the lost, but when he came to us, what we did, how we responded to his kindness was we grabbed him and we nailed him to a tree. And it was actually in this moment of like, he reveals his kindness and we betray him in this moment. It's actually in this moment, the Bible says that what he was doing was revealing the fullness of the kindness and mercy of God. Because as the son of God was being slaughtered on the cross, by the very people whose bellies were full by the food he fed them with, by the very people who were sick and he had healed them, by the very people who had leprosy and they had been cleansed, by the very people who used to be lame and lying on a mat and were now walking around as Jesus is being slaughtered by those very people. It was those people who stood before him and demanded that he be crucified. They demanded his punishment. They demanded his slaughter. And as Jesus is lifted into the air, the very, some of the very last words he speaks is he prays. And what he prays is stunning. Because he prays to his father that instead of punishing them, he would forgive them. That he would bless them. And this kindness of Jesus, this prayer to his father, is so powerful so that the, the hands 
that were stained with the blood of the Son of God. Like the very hands that were stained red with the blood of the Son of God, that it would be the very blood that they shed that God would use to wash away their sins and pronounce them as sons and daughters of God. That is not justice. It's kindness. And it's the kind of kindness and mercy that if you stand at the foot of the cross and you experience that, not as something for other people, but that your hands are the ones that are stained and that that kindness and mercy would be for you, it has the power to change your heart completely. Titus 3, 4 says it like this. It just says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. So when God says that he's told you, oh man, what is good, that what the Lord requires of you is to love kindness. He is talking about a kind of heart transformation that can only happen at the foot of the cross of Christ. There is no other way for you to receive the kind of heart he's talking about. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be kind enough. You cannot work your way towards this. The only thing you can do is actually find yourself as the unjust one in full deserving of punishment. And then to cry out for mercy and have the king himself give you kindness and grace. And instead of punish you, would bless you. That is the only possible thing in this universe that can change your heart to be the kind that God requires. It isn't good people who love kindness. Hear me say that. It's not good people who love kindness. Good people might do kindness. They might even be known for it, but they will never love it. There will always be some limit to their kindness and mercy they are willing to extend to others, but it's only people who love kindness. It's only those people who love kindness are the ones who've had their hearts transformed by the mercy and kindness of God for them. Because we're in this series and it's do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. And, and I think that like this middle section, I think it just clarifies so many of the questions we spend our time asking, right? Because when it comes to doing justice or, or just looking out at a world that's filled with like tremendous need, one of the first things we ask is like, okay, like what does that look like? How do I actually help? How do I be a help? And we have this kind of question that we ask when it comes to helping people is we have this question that's like, okay, well, well how did this person get into this situation, right? Because we have this idea in our heads that if someone's in a situation because of injustice against them, whether from a person or a system, that's kind of kept them down and that's the reason they're in this situation, then it's really, really good for us to help those people. We have this idea that if the reason this person is in this situation is because of their choices and their foolishness, then it's not as good to help that person. Maybe you can, but it's not as good. And what God is saying is he's saying that question, how did this person get in this situation, is a completely pointless question. 
Because if the reason they're in this kind of bottom like area where like they are in this hard area, the reason they're in this place is because of injustice against them, then what they need is for you to do justice. But if the reason they're in this situation is because of their own choices and own failures in life, then what they need is mercy. And God tells you to love mercy. This makes so much of our lives so much simpler because we don't need to ask the question like, does this person deserve this? The answer is it doesn't matter because you did not deserve grace and God gave it to you. And you did not deserve blessing, but he gave it to you. You actually deserved justice, punishment. And God said no to that and yes to mercy and kindness. Christian, what God requires of you is that you love kindness. That you love it. So many of us in this room, what is true of us is that this message of kindness and and grace and mercy from God We've received it, we've clapped our hands to it, we sing to it, but when it comes to the center of our heart, what we love, we take God's message of kindness and we shift it somewhere off to the side. What he's telling us is that what he requires of us is to not clap our hands at what Jesus did, not be thankful, not have it be part of our lives, but what he requires of us is that we take the message of kindness and the kind mercy of Jesus and we love it. It must be the absolute center of our affections. It cannot be peripheral. It cannot be something we like. Not just because that is so diminishing of what Jesus has done for us, and so wrong that that would not be the center of our affection, but because if we want to be the kind of people that go into the world and actually do change it with kindness, the only possible way we will become those kind of people is if the thing that we love, the thing that our whole lives are oriented around is the kindness and mercy that God has shown us. That is the only thing powerful enough in your life to change your heart to be the kind of person he's talking about here. You can't work hard enough for it, but you can love it. Pray. Jesus. wrote this to your people, the, re- the reality was that not only were their lives not marked by doing justice, but their hearts did not love kindness. And you spoke to them through your prophet Micah, and you said, this is what the Lord requires of you. God, kindness isn't easy because when we give kindness to other people, it costs us something. And God, if we're just totally honest, most of our lives, we're actually very concerned with what we are owed and we are very concerned with what we deserve. We're very concerned with our rights. And yet you have given us a story that is meant to change our perspective. God, we don't want justice to be done to us. We want mercy. 
And God, we want to be the kind of people that go out into the world and we do justice. We figure out who is oppressed. How can we help them? How can we lift people up? But God, even, even more than that, at the center of our hearts, the thing we want to love is we want to love kindness and mercy. And so God, would you, through your spirit this morning, through your grace, through your kindness, would you change our hearts so that we might be the kind of people that represent you rightly to this world.